Welcome to the world of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello players and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Eric, aka Gingerino. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode as we dive into the news and lore for the Pillars of Eternity games as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. For those who aren't familiar with why we're pairing Pillars of Eternity with Avowed, it's because they share the same fantasy setting called Aeora. And so as the theory goes, if we dive into the history and lore and game mechanics for Pillars of Eternity, we can glean some insights into Avowed as it undergoes development. As well, it lets those of us who love the Pillars games geek out about a world that we already know and love and can learn something new about, hopefully. In today's episode, we're going to be discussing another deity, Hylia, goddess of birds and the sky. Today's episodes will feature no spoilers. You are free to listen to the entire thing. I know some of you have been voiding episodes that have spoilers in them, and I'm going to try to focus on episodes having no spoilers or doing a spoiler episode with a non-spoiler episode. I I, I don't know. I'll figure it out as I go, but I hear you, and I'm going to do the best I can to keep things spoiler-free, especially for those of you who are going on the Pillars of Eternity adventure for the first time. If you're going through Pillars of Eternity 1 or 2 for the first time and uh, you have any questions about it, please reach out to me. I love those games. I, w- I love talking about them, and I-, I love having discussions with you guys about that stuff as well. There's communities out there that can talk about it. Anyways, I digress. Let's dive into today's lore. I'm curious. What exactly did you find there? Today, we are discussing Hylia, or Queen of the Birds, uh, or Sky Mother, as she often goes by and is one of the more quote-unquote good deities that we run into in Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2. Hylia is goddess of the sky, birds, maternity, creativity, language, song, invention, and the arts. As I mentioned, she's one of the more quote-unquote good deities that we run into, and I think that happens because in Pillars of Eternity 1, when you have to try to appeal to one of the gods for something, Uh, Out of the four that you can talk to, Hylia is kind of the more default good one. So for many RPG players who are playing the hero, which I found out statistically is the majority, go figure, uh, a lot of us may have aligned with Hylia. I find her domains of deification interesting. Skybirds, maternity, creativity, language, song, invention, and arts. Uh, there is some a commonality between pieces of them, but there are some that seem to be just completely different, like they have nothing to do with each other. And it, it really took some time sitting down, thinking about this and writing it out to help me understand what's going on here. Though she's often associated with birds and the sky for her imagery, she is more often associated with maternity. This is clear when you look at what is considered the scripture in-game, the lore book for Hylia, and it's called The Midwife's Memories, which we'll be going through in a little bit. You really see a very common theme of maternity when it comes to Hylia, and it seems to be the highest expression of what Hylia represents. As I've mentioned in talking about gods before, when it comes to the deities, there are some ideals which are represented in more abstract forms, such as the idea of creativity. You know, those are more conceptually based, whereas sometimes the things gods represent in Aora can be physical things or actual objects like the birds or song. 
or a language. Well, that was, I guess, a little bit of both. But the point being is that oftentimes the imagery that is associated with the physical things are very accurate metaphors or active expressions of the more abstract concepts. Uh, this is a speculation on my part, but it, it fits really well together when you start to look at the gods holistically. So before we dive into the domains of Ahylia and try to understand the connection between them all, I just want to go to the Pillars of Eternity collector's book and read for you the description of Hylia directly from there, and I'll comment as I go, so that we can understand who or what Hylia is. Hylia, we've discussed already, is called the Sky Mother or Queen of Birds. We've gone through the portfolio of domains that she is in charge of. She is allied with Aethys, and I think that's because her dispositions likely align with his, like they have the same kind of personalities. She does go against Magrin. My guess here is that because Hylia and Magrin have kind of opposite dispositions, they look at the world differently, that's partly why. Hylia is about the creation of life, you know, and the and the fostering of life and doing good for people, whereas Magrin is about fire and war and the ending of life. And in fact, it even references somewhere in the lore that the gods are very focused on ending life, whereas Hylia is very focused on creating it. The symbol for Hylia is often a sky blue bird's egg. This is the write-up that we have for Hylia in the Pillars of Eternity collector's book, page 24. From her heavenly court of birds, and the word court and birds are capitalized, this is kind of like her personal realm, her plane of existence. From her heavenly court of birds, Hylia sees all that passes on the earth below, and she commands the allegiance, or at least the respect, of every living creature that takes to the air. She wraps herself in a mantle of many colors, made from the feathers of every species of bird that has ever been seen. Uh, this makes me wonder, uh, does she have feathers of birds that haven't yet been seen? Or I guess if she sees everything down there, then I suppose she's seen all the birds. So she would have them all. Hylian priests undertake expeditions into the wild to discover new species of birds and expand the power of their goddess. Her court of birds, again, her capital C and B, court of birds, is a lively place, often depicted in art and song, full of sound and color and invention. This uh, depiction of the court of birds really encapsulates a lot of her domains. You see, it's depicted in art and song and in sound, which is for language, and color and invention. Those are already a huge majority of her domains, and so this artistic expression would also be considered worship of the goddess Hylia. Hylia has never been known to appear in human form, but is thought to be manifest in birds of all kinds, who serve as her eyes and ears in the mortal world. The greater number of birds that are present in a particular place, the greater the likelihood that the Sky Mother is watching. An interesting parallel that comes to mind for me is Odin from Norse mythology, who uses some of his ravens as his eyes and ears in the mundane world, uh, particularly as Hugin and Munin, if, if uh, memory serves me correctly. If you play through God of War, he's got lots and lots of ravens that you can kill. I don't know if that's accurate to Norse mythology, but same idea being the eyes and ears. <laughs> Funny thing, when I called Hylia Sky Mother just now, for some reason in my mind went to Skynet. So I want to start tinfoil hat theorying how Hylia is also Skynet. I'll get back to you on that. Anyways, back to the description. She may also manifest in the cries of a woman in childbirth. When a mother dies to bring new life into the world, it is thought that her soul is carried directly to Hylia's court and transformed into one of her avian attendants. And so 
what that's basically summarizing is if a woman dies during childbirth, she becomes one of the hierarchy within the court of birds itself. Children whose mothers died at birth are believed to be sacred to the queen of birds, Hylia, since, according to the stories, their mothers have her ear and she watches over them throughout their lives. I, I feel like uh, this is part of the benevolent aspect of Hylia, who look upon orphans in the Aeoran times, which, unlike our current times, well, at least in some areas of the world, uh, orphans are not well looked after, I would imagine, in times like during Pillars of Eternity, which is based off the Renaissance or the Age of Exploration. Uh, orphans you know, were not always well looked after and had to fend for themselves and live off the street and form little gangs of children. So they were, in a sense, like the lowest of the low. They were not only uneducated and small, um, but they were looked at as you know, street rats or vermin in some cases, I'm sure. So this really shows you the level of benevolence and compassion that Hylia can have towards another person. Hylia has both a formal and an informal clergy. Her official temples are aviaries, usually with many windows and skylights, sometimes with ceilings of glass and filled with local birds of every kind. This is cool, and I want to see how accurate this depiction will be in Avowed if we ever get the chance to see it. In Pillars of Eternity, you do get to see a temple of Hylia in Pillars of Eternity 1. However, it's in a state of disrepair, and it's uh, it's also kind of got a squatter in there, we'll say for the least. If you haven't played through Pillars of Eternity yet, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave that for you to find out. But I would be interested in seeing an avowed going to a city or a location that has a temple of Hylia, and it is an aviary filled with birds of all sorts uh, coexisting together, a uh, beautiful song going on, obviously. I, I'm picturing rays of light coming through the windows, of course. Stained windows, of course. You know, arts and whatnot. I, I would really like to see that in a game of avowed. I, I don't know. I, it would, hopefully it would serve some sort of game purpose other than just for my sake of walking in. Oh, that's pretty. And then leaving. Uh, but still, I, I like these little details in the lore. And I want to see it in the game of out as it comes out since we get to see it through a first person perspective. Now, going back to the book, they, that is the official clergy members of Hylia, they often double as artists and writers salons with the creative classes among her most fervent devotees. Her informal clergy are midwives scattered across the countryside who are trained in the medical arts and deliver children in their goddess's name. So you have the official clergy of Hylia who are more devoted to the arts and more devoted to creative endeavors. And so I, I wonder if you could consider this podcast or other podcasts to be a creative endeavor. I don't know if I would be in the hierarchy of Hylia's uh, devotees, but that's still, it's nice to know. You know, so you have this creative side, which is more of the official temple, and then you have the informal, the, the less official side of the clergy, which are more midwives, and they're going out being benevolent to those around them, uh, particularly helping women in childbirth and doing it in their goddess's name. They have no temples to speak of, that is, those that are going out as midwives, but they always wear a fetish or charm of colorful feathers, a sign that they have been trained by their predecessors and is blessed by the goddess. And so I imagine for women who are pregnant, especially during the aesthetic and time period that Pillars of Eternity is taking place, that would be a very heartwarming sign to see because, you know, they didn't have anything to help with the pain and things were not nearly as safe at times like that when giving birth. You know, dying during childbirth at those times is a very real possibility. 
having a trained and well-renowned midwife would be a great comfort. Before the destruction of St. Widwin at Godhammer Citadel, and that is a piece of lore that we will go into on a different episode, long story short, a prominent figure of the Aethasian faith, St. Widwin, was destroyed at a place called Godhammer Citadel. That is glossing over a lot of lore, uh, but that's the only key thing you need to know there. Hylia was considered an ally and a friend of Aethys, since both gods had a hand in birth and new beginnings. Aethys being one of the other deities in charge of redemption and dusk and dawn, and so new beginnings would be part of his domain. Her priesthood mourns his disappearance on the anniversary of St. Widwin's quote-unquote death, and commissions plays and poems in his honor. So this moment in history when St. Widwin supposedly died, it was a huge moment. So Hylia has her priesthood perform plays and make poems in honor of that moment. And this shows you the type of clergy that follow Hylia, the type of people that Hylia try to foster, that she tries to make her people like. They're very connected to the arts and song and poetry, but at the same time, they're very benevolent to those who are in the most need, you know, orphans on the street or women who are pregnant and need assistance in giving birth. They are also rumored to have accepted a number of Aethasian clergy into their own ranks in an effort to save them from the vengeful followers of Magrin. Now, right there, I think a lot of people who heard that, if you have any hostile feelings towards organized religion, it's because they don't do things like this. And I totally understand where that comes from. Like, think about this for a second. People who are following Hylia, these people who are dedicated to following in faith a god, Hylia, allow people of another faith to enter into their ranks to keep them safe from people that might hurt them, right? Like, think of, like, that would be as if one church allowed someone from a, another faith to enter into their church just to keep them safe. You're not even telling them that they have to change their faith. You're just trying to keep them safe. That is a compassionate heart right there. And, and the, it's just re-emphasizing what kind of people follow Hylia, or at least the kind of people that she is trying to have as her followers. This has somewhat dampened the Queen of Birds' faith in the Deerwood and raised tensions between her and Magrin. So Magrin and Hylia do not get along very well, again, because they probably have opposite dispositions, but also because Hylia is essentially harboring these Aethasian priests that Magrin is trying to seek out and destroy. Continuing on in the book, artists and poets often keep birds in their homes, hoping that the goddess will whisper to them in their sleep. So they essentially have birds in their homes to achieve inspiration. These birds are a symbol of their god, and they have a deep connection with their god. That's where they get inspiration from. Among the wild Orlans, one of the unique races of Eora, among the wild Orlans, though creative inspiration is not seen as a gift, but as something to be stolen from the goddess. Their poets and singers organize hunts in the deep forest, seeking the rarest and most colorful birds, which are then slain and eaten. To eat of the goddess's flesh is the only way to capture her divine creative spark, in their view. I guess what some of these wild Orleans have decided is that instead of waiting for inspiration to come to me by looking upon this beautiful bird, I will simply eat the bird and therefore consume the inspiration and have that for my poetry instead. <laughs> um, accordingly, the Sky Mother has no clergy among the wild Orleans, and childbirth is said to be particularly painful and difficult for their kind. Obviously, she's none too happy about the whole bird-eating thing. 
And so that is the official write-up in the Pillars of Eternity Collector's book uh, from Obsidian about who Hylia is and a bit of her history. And it really gives you a lot of the personalities. And I think it's going to help us understand her domains a little better. So as I mentioned, Hylia's domains are the sky, birds, maternity, creativity, language, song, invention, and the arts. And at first we didn't really see a connection between them, but now I think they're starting to make a little bit more sense. Let's just start by looking at two of them. First one being birds in the sky. Now, the birds and the sky are obviously connected because, you know, birds fly in the sky. That's where you see them. But a question that might come up for you is, why birds? You know, like, why not fish? Okay, like, okay, Andre could have fish. That would make sense. But, like, why not some other animal? Why birds in particular? And I think it's because it connects very deeply with creativity. Because birds are often very varietized and very colorful and very beautiful really like they have different colored feathers they have different displays of plumage uh, they have you know different silhouettes they have different sizes everything right like there are different expressions within each species of bird as well they produce music naturally you know they just by being a bird and the very expression of their nature they produce song whether it's uh, tiny little tweets or these intricate melodies at least that we detect as melodies right and that links really well with creativity and song and the arts other domains of Hylias as well and so birds seem to me to be the most uh, obvious animal of choice as a good illustration as a good piece of imagery of what it is that Hylia represents but then what about maternity what is it about maternity and what does it have to do with the other ones as well because I don't know how you can be a, a god of the birds and then also be a god of childbirth. Like, where's the connection there? I think that it's because maternity is closely, closely tied to creativity. You know, we talk about the arts being under Hylia's domain. We talk about song and language and poetry, things like that. All these things have to do with creativity and creation. But what is more creative than all that? You know, the idea of creating actual life like an actual thinking, breathing, moving, living creature. And what what would be a higher expression of creation than that, right? And so this idea of maternity, uh, the idea of, of growing a child in the womb and, and giving birth to that child, you know, having to undergo the process of bringing that thing into the world. I'm not going to compare drawing a great piece of art to giving birth to a child, right? But I'm sure that Hylian worshippers would try to draw parallels there. This idea of childbirth and bringing a life into the world is one of the ultimate expressions of creativity, which is one of the domains that Hylia oversees. And so that's what I think the deep connection is to maternity. As for arts and invention, I think that those are just, again, expressions of creativity. Those are expressions of poetry and, and music. And so that is primarily where she finds herself. And so ultimately, I think that the main domain of Hylia, if you could pick one, would be creativity, personally speaking. It's for these reasons that I think Hylia is so prominent in other cultures. If you go through all the books and all the lore, you find that there are some patron deities of certain nations and empires. And in Hylia's case, she is recognized as an official deity for the Valian Republics, the Argolan Foth tribes, the Adirian Empire the Huana of the Deadfire from the second game, and the Principe and Petrena, which are a 
band of pirates of all things they all recognize hylia as a deity that is commonly worshipped and i think it's because art prevails through so much of every culture and it really is what gives a culture its flavor people who follow hylia are so dedicated to art uh, that actually interestingly enough uh, there is a radical religious group called the ladies of the aviary uh, they believe so much in freedom of expression and artistic expression that they will go out of their way to like the extreme to make sure that if someone has a message or a piece of art they want to get out there they will do whatever they can to make sure it gets out whether it means taking care of the local guards so they can't interfere or causing a ruckus or like you know breaking laws to get it done they'll do that that's how much they believe in freedom of expression and artistic expression <laughs> uh, which I, I hope please obsidian if any one of you is listening to this I would love the ladies of the aviary to be in the new game. I, I don't want to put pressure on you guys. I, I love the work you do. I, I trust your choices, but that would be so cool. And there's a, you could make a quest of that so easily. It's just walking through a city, quick little side quest of, hey, can you go distract that guard over there? And then you come back and there's just this massive mural painted on the side of a wall. You know, it's just a, a cool little thing that you guys now listening to this, you listeners out there, you will understand where that comes from now, knowing about the ladies of the aviary. So Hylia, as I've discussed, is in a lot of cultures, people recognize her as an official deity. And again, that's because I think the arts just permeate throughout cultures. But what are some of her more direct interactions with the world? Now, we talked about the official and unofficial clergy of Hylia earlier on in this episode, but we haven't actually got down to what it is that they believe. We haven't got down to the scripture yet. And I said I was going to bring it up, so here is where I'm going to bring that part up. There's a journal in Pillars of Eternity 1 called The Midwife's Memories, and this is considered the lore book for Hylia. You could almost consider it as Hylia scripture. It is written from the perspective of a daughter of a woman who followed Hylia, and she is writing a letter in regards to her mother. And so this is what we have. My mother lived every note of life's song. Bring me into this world was her last verse. Uh, right from the get-go, you can see the poetic imagery that is just natural in this woman's expression. Uh, her mother living the note of living every note of life's song. You know, so just she lived her life to the fullest. And the last verse of her mother was bringing her into the world. So her mother obviously died in childbirth. I, I, this I'm not saying this because it's hidden to you guys, as if you guys couldn't figure this out. I just it's interesting to see the level of detail of Obsidian that they're like, we want the people who are associated with Hylia to be very creative, uh, talk artistically and poetically. And right from the get-go in this journal, uh, she's using poetic language. So I, I like that attention to detail. Back to it. For this, that is, her mother dying in childbirth, my father scorned me and abandoned me. And for this very same fact, my town's midwife and adherent of Hylia raised me as her own. And that's something we discussed earlier, that often midwives of Hylia would do that. When I came of age... I learned that Hylia visits us on the screams of women in childbirth. And when a woman dies giving birth to her child, her soul is carried away and reborn as an avian attendant of Hylia's court. Through the miracle of the queen of birds, that is Hylia, my mother has been with me, watching over me my whole life. And there is precedent in the lore to believe that that is true, that as an attendant of Hylia, this person's mother could actually be in the world as a bird and oversee her daughter it's it's actually potentially possible although this might just be metaphorical returning back to the journal written from this daughter's perspective i wear the fetish charms of the cloud singer the bird i dreamt my mother became 
My feathery trinkets look gaudy and unbecoming, but it is a signal fire to women in need that I am a trained midwife, blessed by Hylia, and living every note of life's song. So we have a repeat of what her mother was like, living every note of life's song. So she's living that life as well. The queen of birds wills us to shepherd new life into the world, and not, as the other gods so often desire, to end it. A follower of Magaran once mocked my faith, saying I worshipped paintbrushes and birds, piddling things beneath the gods. I do not resent the other gods and the brutal necessities that they must oversee, but is it not language, love, the arts, and creativity that which separates us from simple beasts? Hylia allows us to rise above our savage feral selves. I am often amused that upon seeing our holy aviaries, visitors frequently ask, this is nice, but where is the real temple of Hylia? Perhaps they think hallowed ground requires oppressive stoneworks and ceilings that hide the sky. They do not realize that the bird queen stands not on ceremony. She makes herself manifest in the music of birds and in the beauty of the ubiquitous open sky. I went on for quite a while there without interrupting. I just, I just got real into it. I, I really love this thing that she is positing. This idea that like without art, language, and love, and creativity, are we just simple beasts? You know, she says that highly allows us to rise above our savage feral selves. I think she's making the claim that it is this ability to have artistic expression and creativity and love and language that separates us from mere beasts. Is that the thing that separates us? Like in our human world, even, is that what makes us human? The ability to be able to do that? You know, I, I know that some people think the thing that makes us human and not just mere animals in the sense of a, we're just animalistic in the woods, uh, going off our instincts and nothing else is because we have the power of choice uh some people think that it's because we have the soul inside of us the claim here from the perspective of a hylian worshiper is that it is this potential of language love arts and creativity that give us all of those things it's a very interesting claim being made behind the scenes anyways to finish off the journal hylia prefers the worship of two children singing over a thousand petitioners silently praying for victory. The Sky Mother asks so little of us, and yet so much, we are charged to live every note of life's song. It surprises me how many fail to embrace this divine calling. And so thus ends the reading of the Midwife's Memoirs. And so a lot of this stuff actually sounded familiar, and I think it's because it covers everything that Obsidian wanted to discuss. That whole big thing that I read at the start of this episode is succinctly put into this one little journal. And I imagine this is considered scripture because it hits all of those tenets of worship of Hylia in one letter. This is actually common practice for a lot of religions. In the Christian religion, for example, they read out of the Bible. And the Bible is made out of a, a bunch of books. But a lot of these books, they're actually just letters. Like, they're actually just a letter that one dude wrote to other dudes in a church somewhere. And so they read these letters as they are scripture. And it's kind of like what the Hylian worshipers might do here. They take this letter that this woman wrote and they read it as scripture, as if you can gain teachings from it. Now, I'm not going to get into the theology of divine inspiration or whatever uh, and all that, but it's just a, it's an interesting parallel I want to bring here. So that is almost everything we have to do with Hylia. Um, but to close off the main part of this episode, I just want to end with touching on the godlikes. Now, if I haven't talked about it much, uh, that's because we just haven't had good examples of it yet. But what a godlike is, a godlike is a race of kith that is blessed by one of the deities 
while they're in the womb, uh, most likely in the womb. We don't actually know for sure. So for example, if you are a nature godlike, that means you are very likely blessed by the god Galloway, god of the hunt. And you will be born in the form of your parents. So if you have human parents, you'll be born as a humanoid. You know, you'll have the same kind of form as a human. But being a nature godlike, you might have antlers that grow after puberty instead of hair. You might have ears like that of another animal. You could have goat legs instead of human eggs. Make, um, you could have leaves growing off your body or other vegetation. So a godlike is someone who, being blessed by one of the deities, take on a visual image of that deity. And we know of godlike that are associated with Hylia, and those are called avian godlikes. And it will come as no surprise, given the name, that these godlikes have bird qualities to their visage, to the way they physically look. The best example is one of the companions that you can have in the game, Palagina. She is an avian godlike. Instead of hair, she actually has feathers growing out the top of her head, and her eyes have that kind of golden color that many birds have. In fact, if you go to the Pillars of Eternity Wikipedia, this is what it is said that avian godlikes look like. Their divine heritage from the Sky Mother can be seen in their many bird-like features. Avian godlike grow colorful feathers from their skin and hair, which vary in density. Their golden bird-like eyes contain fully developed nicitating membranes, which is a thin semi-transparent eyelid used as an additional layer of protection. Their appearance, while present at birth, only fully manifests after puberty. And, and so there you have it. it, it the god, avian godlike of Hylia uh, take the uh, sort of mixture of kith and bird-like qualities. Palagina, one of the companions in the game, you end up finding out that she underwent a procedure to try to reverse some of this because she didn't like this part of herself. Uh, but we can go into that when we actually talk about the companions in Palagina in particular. And so that's everything for the main part of the episode. I'm going to finish this episode off with a bunch of item descriptions that include things about Hylia and people who follow her. Uh, for those not aware, in a lot of RPGs, if you look at the item descriptions for things in the game, you actually gain pieces of lore. So like in the game Bloodborne, if you read item descriptions of uh, weapons or armor, you actually get pieces of the story of things that are going on behind the scenes. Uh, for Or for shooter games like Destiny, if you read gear sets, if you read the descriptions within gear sets, you can actually learn about other characters behind the scenes or the history of the world. And the same is done with Pillars of Eternity. For example, there is a mace called Amoranet, and in the description for this, we have a discussion about a priest of Hylia. So I'm going to read a, a bunch of item descriptions, and they're going to contain some lore in it, and then that'll be the end of the episode. But for this superb mace, Amorinette, we have the following description. A priestess of Hylia in Old Valia took in children orphaned by a famine. She guarded them in a temple and gathered what food she could. When looters came to the temple doors, demanding that she surrender their meager supplies, she prayed to her goddess for strength. The priestess suddenly found a powerful mace in her folded hands and an indomitable courage in her heart. When she charged through the temple door, it said the very birds swooped from the treetops to pluck at the thieves' eyes. When the local duke heard of her bravery and the plight of the children, he diverted emergency supplies from his own hall to feed them. The brave priestess and her mace, Amorinet, which means little beloved, became symbols of Hylia's fierce protection. This makes me wonder if there could ever be a paladin order based off Hylia, kind of like the Kind Wayfarers. Or maybe in the Kind Wayfarers paladin order, maybe there's a lot of Hylian worshippers. Who knows? 
If you want that mace, you can buy it in the Hearthsung market in Twin Elms of Pillars of Eternity 1. There is a fine pistol that you can find in the Undying Heritage quest in Defiance Bay called St. Garum's Spark. Uh, I believe it comes to you through just playing the main storyline, so you should get this eventually. In its item description, we see St. Garum was a priest of Hylia, known for his mastery of the art of wordplay. It was said that he could shape the mood of a crowd with a single word and find with cruel precision the most shocking turn of phrase with which to dismantle an opponent. One more whimsical daughter of the Deerwood had this pistol crafted in his honor, for the gun, too, she said, could put an end to any debate. This makes me stop and think. Realistically speaking, who would be a follower of Hylia? In this case, the St. Garam guy was a person who mastered the art of wordplay. Could that mean a comedian is someone who follows Hylia uh, or a public speaker? You know, the people at Toastmasters all worship Hylia. Or what about people who use it for bad things? Like Hitler was a really renowned speaker. Would he worship Hylia? I don't think so, given his uh, cruelty towards some people. Uh, but interesting thought of like, what kind of people would naturally follow Hylia? Interesting decision, too, on this person who made a gun, comparing it to the delivery of powerful words. I wonder if, in avowed... If we create charisma-based characters, if following Hylia is an option, if we'll get a boost to that, if we can have uh, even more maxed-out stats for our charisma-based builds. Uh, this has got to be my favorite one so far. Uh, this comes from Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire, and it's contingent upon you having upset Hylia in the first game by not doing that which she asks. And the beginning of the game, you are the captain of a ship in Pillars of Eternity 2, Deadfire, and you will find it in a certain state if you did not do Hylia's bidding in the first game. And this is the description for Birdshit Hull and Birdshit Sails. A quote-unquote gift from above. This hull treatment is a sign of Hylia's displeasure. The bird dung is detrimental to the hull and provokes not-so-hushed curses from the deckhands responsible for swabbing the deck. Simply maintaining such a mess is a waste of time and resources. <laughs> and for the sails... These linen sails have been caked with the droppings of a multitude of seabirds. The crew aloft complains unendingly about the mess and the smell. The drying shit weighs down the sails and interferes with proper reefing and unfurling. <laughs> so, I mean, rather than just being hilarious and comical, there's actual mechanical things that this does. It actually slows you down because your sails are weighed down and you can't use them properly. I just find it funny. Uh, this actually happens a lot when you dive more into some of these item descriptions of Hylia not liking someone. So she just sends a bunch of birds to go and take craps on people just to unload on them. So if this ever happens to you, you know that it's because Hylia is displeased with you. Um, in fact, this is uh, what, uh, there is actually a set of gauntlets you can get that explain this even more. Uh, Hylia's talons are a set of gauntlets that you can get. And this is another example of what can happen if she dislikes you. As dangerous to the wearer as to her enemies, these gauntlets honor the goddess of the sky. The creator did not fully consider Hylia's will when creating the gauntlets, focusing on aesthetics over function. In his short-sightedness, he gained not his goddess's favor, but her wrath. He forever after traveled with a sheet of canvas overhead to spare himself the spattered fury of her flocks. And that's... That is hilarious. Uh, so he, he made these gauntlets. He made them look pretty, but they were not very functional gauntlets. And that displeased Hylia. So she sent her flocks of birds to just constantly go and rain their droppings on him. And 
I, I think that's hilarious. And I, I would, I hope that if, if you can do something in avowed, like enter a temple of Hylia and kill one of the birds or knock down one of the statues or do something that she wouldn't like that when you go outside, it just, a quick murder of crows come flying by and they just all take a dump on you and fly away. And then nothing else happens. And you, the player, are left wondering what's going on. Except for those that have listened to this episode, now you know why that might have happened. I hope that gets to happen. Uh, I hope in Avowed as well that maybe there'll be um, some paladin orders that have to do with benevolence that are connected to Hylia, as well as maybe being able to play as an avian godlike. I think that would be really interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing what kind of godlikes we can actually play as in the game. But as promised, uh, that is all I have for today's episode. I don't want it to go too, too long. Uh, Thank you guys so much for tuning in to today's episode, talking about Hylia, the Sky Mother, Queen of Birds, Goddess of the Sky. I've really enjoyed discussing this with you, and I hope you enjoyed it too. If you want to leave a rating or review or email me comments, questions, concerns, or criticisms, please do leave a rating or review. And if you want to email me, it's worldofaora at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at worldofaora. Thank you guys again so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Eric, aka Gingerino, and I'll catch you next time. 